Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to finish. Matter of fact, I'm not sure we're going to finish. We are going to continue, okay, with what we started last week. And so what we talked about last week was the four progressive expressions of the Spirit. The four progressive expressions of the Spirit. Uh, The reason I'm dealing with this is I want to uh, graciously confront a theology, a belief system that I believe undermines people's hunger, undermines uh, their, their, their faith to believe for more. There is a theology that says you get it all when you get saved. And if you mean you get it all legally, you get it all potentially, I can agree with that. I can sign off on that one. But to say that you get it all actually or experientially is error. We see this in the New Testament. The disciples, uh, they were They were saved, they walked with Jesus, then they were baptized in the Spirit at Acts chapter 2. They received the Spirit in John 21. It was very clearly a different scenario than Acts chapter 2. Acts 20, or 20 rather, uh, Jesus walked through the wall, freaked them out, and then it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their salvation, their born again experience, but they received the power of the Spirit the baptism in the Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. If you read those two texts, there is no way they're the same text. It's not two, sa- two narratives about the same uh, happening. Uh, you can put it like this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, literally it's the baptism. It's not the baptism. It's not the, uh, the Spirit baptizing us. It's Jesus baptizing us. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, John the Southern Baptist, he said... The one coming after me, the the sandals of whom I am worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. It's talking about the baptism in the Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer in the Spirit. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit will convict us and send us back around to the Father. If I was more prepared, I'd have in the background that that, uh, Elton John song, The Circle of Life, because it really is. Uh, And so... The, but when we get saved, the Spirit resides within us. He comes in us. When we're baptized in the Spirit, we are in Him. There's a difference between having the residing Spirit and living in the Spirit, okay? There's a difference. It's the difference between taking a drink of water and taking a bath. In one, the water's in you. In the other, you're in the water, In salvation, the Spirit of God resides within us. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are in the Spirit. So John, John the baptizer, he sets, he uh, casts the die, if you will, on what this concept means. And the, the rest of the New Testament builds on it. The first time we hear about this concept of being baptized in the Spirit was John in Luke 3. And John said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And he said, what, he said, I baptize in water, but he will baptize you in the spirit and fire. In saying that, what he is doing is he's, he's using the water baptism that he would 
facilitate as an example or as a springboard, as a picture to give us insight into what Jesus would do. That's why he said it that way. It's almost a parable. Uh, we've talked about this before. A parable means to, literally, the word we translate parable needs to throw alongside. You throw alongside the, amen, brother. It, it, uh, we throw alongside the physical, alongside the spiritual, because God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand the kingdom or the ways of the king, so God throws alongside the physical in practical ways. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. We can understand that. If we study farming, we get insight into the kingdom. John was saying, what I do with water, you can see that, you can understand that. I'm trying to tell you that with the spirit, the one that is coming will do the same with the spirit. And so when John would take them down in the water, you gotta picture this, he'd take them in this rushing river and he would say, I don't know how, what did Jesus say? In the name of the Father and me and the Spirit? I don't know. But uh, he, would, he would baptize them. Never thought of that. Uh, I had an epiphany. He went, they went down to the water and they would come up. They're drenched. Their, their clothing was soaked. Their hair, you, you know, their hairdo was messed up. They were dripping, saturated with water. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, or John is saying, that's what Jesus is going to do with the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want in. I want to go down in the water, come up. I've already had it, but I want to, I want to keep on being filled. There's not one infilling. There's multiple infillings. Now, the thing is, we need to understand. One of these days, we'll get into this. There is a difference between the presence of God, the anointing, and the glory. Those are three dimensions, if you will, of the Spirit's activity in our life. The presence of God, the anointing, and the glory. Let's set the anointing aside for a minute. The presence and the glory are two different things. Moses, God said, I will send my presence with you. And he said, God, now show us your glory. It's an upgrade. And so we need to understand these things. Now, let me get a drink. What we talked about last week is these, this beautiful analogy in Scripture. Well, let me pause. There, there, there's a lot of analogies for the Spirit. The fire of God, oil, wine. There's all these analogies that express or communicate different facets of the Spirit's ministry and work in our life. So there's all these wonderful pictures, but one of them is water. And there's this beautiful analogy that is a progressive analogy throughout Scripture. We see in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about you will, you will draw joy from the wells of salvation. So when we meet Jesus, when we accept him, we drink of the Spirit. He becomes the residing Spirit. So it starts with a drink at salvation. But then John goes on to say, the book of John chapter 7, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus said, all who are thirsty, let him come and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so now we have a progression. 
It's not merely a drink, it's the release of a river from us. As we learn to drink of the Spirit, he's released from it. John adds this, John says, and this, he spoke of this, uh, he, he was, in speaking this, he was speaking of the Spirit who was not yet given. Because Jesus' ministry, it was the ascended Christ that released the Spirit. Whereas Jesus was the agent of heaven, if you will, the the agent of the Godhead that with which the disciples had a, had a relationship. And he said, hey guys, listen, it's gonna be better for you if I leave. And they're like, how in the world could that be? There's something better than having Jesus in your boat. It's having the spirit in your body and the spirit upon you so that you become a participant, not just a recipient. You can release the kingdom. And so... It was speaking of the spirit who was not yet given. And so they took, the river was released at Pentecost and you see that was a game changer. All of a sudden the church began to multiply. That one day, 3,000 were added. That would be a great logistical problem for a church to have. A 3,000 in one day. I would, uh, well, anyway. That, that, that would be an amazing thing. So... There's the, the, uh, the well of salvation, the rivers of living water being released in the baptism. But then we have this other analogy, the, the former and latter rain. This, this raining on the people of God. And the rain is an atmospheric thing. And it, it, the rain is what replenishes a river. We've all seen it. When we have dry times, the river gets real low. Pretty soon the pond is going down. And then we have rain, and the river rises, and the pond rises, because it replenishes the land. And so there are these seasons of outpouring. We call it revival. And we long for those times. I love those times. I, I long for more. I'm contending with heaven for another outpouring for this region. And I'm telling you, God will not turn a deaf ear. He's coming. He's going to come in great power. He's already here, but I want him more here. There's a difference between his omnipresence, he's here, he's everywhere, and his manifest presence, he's here and we feel it, and we experience it, and things begin to happen, and that's what we're praying for. Those are outpourings of the Spirit, and so those are all beautiful uh, allegories of our life in the Spirit. We need to realize they're not just poetic terms. These are realities expressed by these allegories. These are realities in our life. We need to, you, need, you start by drinking from the well of salvation. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen guys, don't even think about going into ministry. I know you spent three years in the Jesus School of Supernatural Ministry, but it's not good enough. Graduation day is the Spirit of God needs to come upon you. And so they were empowered, but then we have seasons of outpouring, and those are wonderful. Now, let me just pause, because I want to get into this fourth expression, and each one is a progressive expression. The danger of this doctrine that says, you get it all at salvation, and again, if somebody's saying, you get it all legally, you get it, you know, it's, it's yours, you just need to access it, I'm fine with that, just make sure you access it. There's a lot of things that God has given the deed to and we're not experiencing it yet. So don't assuage your hunger. 
Don't undermine your passion by convincing you, well, I, I have it, I just need to take it by faith. Yeah, by faith, take it until you experience it. Let it, unless it's landing as a reality in your life, then press in for more. Okay? Now, uh, and let me just mention one other thing about that. One of the dangers is that we, it undermines our hunger, it undermines our passion. Uh, that's why churches that buy into that theology, often you won't see them as houses of prayer. You won't see fasting, uh, usually. You won't see this ravenous hunger because their theology actually works against them. And even though the leader may understand what they're saying in saying we have it all legally, uh, you just need to access it experientially. Uh, we need to be very careful with our terminology. I know myself, I've been misunderstood many times. I may not be the most articulate. I need to be more careful in my language because we can lead people astray. The other danger of this theology is, is it causes people to then look at people who are experiencing it people who are moving in the power of God and the only way they can reconcile their life to the, the gap between what they're experiencing and the other people are experiencing is, well, they must be special. I guess that's just for the few anointed ones and the rest of us are spectators. Pew potatoes, get it? Taters, pew potatoes. We just watch what goes on. And that is a tragedy because it's for everyone God wants anointed people, not just anointed pastors and evangelists and apostles and prophets and teachers. We're all called. We all get to do the stuff in the words of John Wimber. I love that phrase. We all get to do the stuff. Okay. So this third one. You old timers around here, are gonna, you're going to recognize where I'm going with this because I've taught on this before. I had an encounter back in, I want to say it was 2009. And uh, it was 2010, and, two, and I can't believe I remember that. My brother's not even here. But uh, 2010, uh, Paul Yadao, he's one of our external overseers, a precious man of God out of the Philippines, has a, a global church movement, just a dear friend of this house. And uh, he was teaching on soaking. And that's where you put on worship music and just invite the presence of God and just soak in his presence. Uh, the problem with that, some people can really do that well. For me, I snork. I move from soaking to snoring. And, uh, and that's really embarrassing when you're the pastor, you know. And uh, so I try to mix the snoring with speaking in tongues, and I'll jump up, hopefully no one just thought it was a transition, thought that was a weird language. And uh, so I was laying up here. The, I think the sanctuary was smaller back then, and, and I, was, I was laying up here uh, and... I began to fall asleep, and uh, to my great shame. And as I was laying there, I felt something walk by me. I was laying on the floor. I felt it come right by my right side, go down through the altar, and go up that aisle. Something invisible. Now, just hold on here. Stay with me. I know some of you think I'm nuts. But uh, that's what I felt. And I, I knew it carried grace for unity. And I jumped up and I started saying, grace for unity, there's grace for unity. And uh, Paul said in his thick Filipino accent, I wish I could, I could uh, do it, but I can't. Because anytime I try to do another accent, 
within three sentences, I'm Speedy Gonzalez. So it, uh, that's the only one I can do. So anyway, I said, Paul said, and the dew of Hermon will be released. Yes. Yes. That, that's nice. I forgot about it. A year later, Paul's back. Again, we're in a uh, soaking, in my case, snoking session, snorking session. And uh, I'm over here, and uh, I, I knew I was going to fall asleep. So I, I thought, I'm going to go up, and I, I went to use the restroom. I went to just really to wake up, and I stood out there in that, down by the men's room, that glass door, and I was looking out over our property, just praying. And all of a sudden, I went into a vision, and I saw our property but it was as if a translucent dome, a, like a turned over bowl, settled over our property and this oil began to flow out and just cover the, the, the bowl. It was like there was a glory dome over the church. The Lord spoke a couple of things to me that were more personal and then he said this, and the dew of Hermon will be released. Really, I think it's technically Hermon. Uh, I, I, the dew of, of hermone shall be released. And I was stunned. I, what the Lord had shown me was breathtaking. What he spoke to me, frankly, was a bit disappointing. And I don't know why I did this. I went into the bathroom, leaned on the counter, and looked in the mirror and had a conversation with the Lord. I, don't, I know it's weird, but I did. I looked in the mirror and I said, Lord, do, do. I mean, that, to me, it's kind of boring. Rivers, that, that, that can, you know, I can conjure up some pretty good images with that one and outpourings. Man, I love it. You know, the, the pouring rain. But do, you know. I, I was having a hard time reconciling what I saw, what he told me. So I asked the Lord, I said, why do? And he spoke to me very clearly in the mirror. <laughs> he said, it is my non-disruptive way of nourishing the land. Now he had my attention. Because this was two years after we had had a tremendous outpouring that went on for months and months and months. And we would have service after service. We'd be in Sunday morning and the spirit of God would break out. We'd just say, hey, we're meeting back here tonight. And we'd go... And during that season, Leif, was, Leif Hetland was coming in a lot, and Leif and I would just lay on the floor up here during worship, and we'd inch over to each other, and I'd say, why don't you go up and take it? He said, I ain't touching it. Why don't you go take it? And we're like, we don't want to touch this. It's so precious. The fragrance of the Lord would come in. People were getting healed just walking in the, into the sanctuary. It, it was an amazing time. Salvations, healings, uh, it was glorious, and it was also tremendously exhausting. Literally for months after, my wife and I would look across the living room and we'd look, we'd say, I'm still tired. And I began to think about what the Lord was telling me. Even if there's a drought, well, maybe if there was a really bad drought, if it started pouring, we'd all get nuts and go out and dance in the rain. But usually, even if we need the rain, if it's pouring out, we wait a few minutes before we go outside. We're thinking, well, maybe it'll let up and then I'll get in the car. Why? Because rain is disruptive. It's a valid allegory. It's an important reality. But the fact is, it is disruptive. And as I began to press in and ask the Lord about this, one of the things he told me, 
that I had never thought of. I'm not that smart. But when he said it, I thought, wow, that's true. Duh, he said it. But he said, he said, outpourings were made necessary by the fall. There, there was no rain before sin. Scripture is very clear that the way Eden was watered was through underground caverns that would emit a mist in the morning that would settle on the ground and it would nourish the land. It was a very non-disruptive way and it was known as paradise. And I would propose to you this morning that that fourth expression is the zenith that God desires. It is the ultimate, it's, it's really the end game. This is what God is longing for. God wants to send the dew of heaven. Again and again, you see that phrase in scripture. Go home and run it into your concordance or look it up on your phone later. And uh, you can see that it, said, it, it uses that phrase, the dew of heaven, the dew of heaven, the dew of heaven. Now, dew is a, an interesting phenomenon. There's, in meteorology, there's this thing called a dew point. And the dew point, uh, there is a tipping point. Uh, you can have arid air. You know, you go out to Arizona, it's arid. That's why people with breathing problems will often go there. I've been in churches like that. It's arid. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, there's, it's, it's arid. Hey, I've been there. I'm, uh, uh, that was probably a little harsh. Uh, but the fact is, there can be arid air where it is void of his manifest presence. Then you can have a level of humidity. Just a measure. And there's a continuum in how, how humid things get. There's, there's, a, a, an el- there's a, a place in humidity that we call it soupy air. That's Iowa in August. Soupy. You didn't see no soup. You go live in Louisiana. Oh my goodness. I don't know how they tame that country. I lived in Louisiana. My wife, uh, her family was in southern Mississippi. We would go to southern Mississippi, pull up. We had, you know, we had like 52 babies in the van. And uh, we'd bring all these car seats and put them on the front porch. And, and uh, we'd get up in the morning and literally there'd be mold on the car seats because they sat out in the outdoors. I, I loaned my wife a theology book in Bible school. She brought it back and there was mold in the spine and it was all bent and wavy, you know? Now you know, if you know how much I love books, you know this must have been true love that I still married her after she did that to my <laughs> theology book. But it was because the house she lived, it was, where she lived, it was just so humid. So what is soupier? It it. It's when the water in the atmosphere can actually be felt. It's an analogy of the manifest presence. We begin to feel it. There's churches you go into, arid. You don't feel anything. There's other churches you feel a little bit. And then there's churches, I wouldn't put this on your marquee, but it's a soupy church. Uh, it's, you can feel it in the air. The presence of God begins to build. And it's, it, it's like people know, wow, God is here. 
It's soupy in the atmosphere. But there's a tipping point, the dew point, where the water is so heavy laden in the air that it tips and it can no, the, the air itself can no longer hold it as a mist. It has to begin to deposit it in the form of droplets. It's got to manifest in the physical realm. In soupy air, you can't see it, but you can sure feel it. When it becomes dew, it starts showing up on the ground because there's a tipping point. And there are atmospheric conditions that are uh, necessary for dew to show up. In God's word, he gives us the atmospheric condition for the dew of Hermon to show up in our services. And it's not just about a service. It really, that's the wrong way to say it. Within our midst as a people, as a church family, as a tribe. And that's what God is extending to us. A few years later, after I, uh, I had that encounter, I, I think it was after, it might have been between the two encounters. It, it had to be after because we, we were hosting a conference. Gary Oates, Bill and Carol do, Gary and Kathy Oates were here. And uh, Kathy, very prophetic lady. And uh, she, just before she was supposed to get up and speak, she was doing the morning session. Uh, and, and back at that time, we had a lot of homeless people attending Heartland. I, I loved that. Uh, sometimes they would help themselves in the offering bag, but it, uh, it was interesting. But they, you know, hey, I used to be homeless, man. I, I, it, it was an awesome thing. A lot of them really got touched and we'd take them into the side room and pray them through deliverance. And, uh, but one of these homeless guys, I, I, to be honest, I, I just didn't know what to think. I believed he knew Jesus, but I wasn't sure he really heard from God. Often he would catch me in the parking lot while he's smoking a cigarette. Pastor, I saw four angels up front and they were doing this and this. Just wanted you to know. And I thought, hey, thanks, brother. I, you know, I, I just didn't know, okay? Wasn't, wasn't saying it wasn't, but I just wasn't sure. That morning, that, that guy came up to one of the, Roger McKim, one of the elders, and said, hey, Roger, just want you to know there's two angels at the front of the sanctuary this morning. They're on this side of the the platform, one of them is a real big angel with armor on, looks fierce, and the other one's a smaller one. It's got red garland around its head, a red sash, uh, and described it as a much smaller angel. And Roger said, okay, you know, he went over and told me, and I said, okay, yeah, you know, I don't know what to think of that. Got up, introduced Kathy. Uh, of course, they, you know, she had no idea what was just shared with me, and she got up, and, she, and I just read the word the other day. She said, Whenever I speak to a, to a church, I always ask the Lord about the angel of that church. That's taken directly out of Revelation 1. Some people will translate that as, oh, messenger, it means pastor. It's not, that, that word is not used, angelia, or angelos, is not used of pastors. But people, because we have an anti-supernatural worldview in the, in the West, we try to look for some way to interpret that without attributing it to the supernatural. And by the way, let me just mention this. The reason the book was written and the prophecy was given to the angels is because the angels obey the voice of his word, according to Psalm 103. So as we prophesy, as we proclaim, not just willy-nilly off our own heart, they don't have any obligation to obey me, but they will obey the Lord. 
And if I lend my voice to his word, the voice of his word will activate the angelic and they'll go to war. So anyways, she gets up and she says, interestingly enough, she said, there are two angels here this morning. They're right over here. She said, one is a very large one with armor on. He looks very fierce. And the other one is a smaller angel with red garland and a red sash. And she went on and described it just as he had. And I'm on the front row repenting for my unbelief. But she said this. She said, the smaller one carries unity. It's been assigned to this house. And the bigger one is here to protect the ministry of the smaller one. I then knew that's what I felt walked by me that morning and began to declare there's grace for unity. I just said it. I mean, it, to me, it, it seemed like a weird thing, but it just came on me. I mean, I felt that thing, this power walk by me. There is an extension of grace for this house, for this tribe, to walk in unity together. And the reason that is such a big deal, it's not just so we can have peaceful relationships and not, not get cantankerous with each other. It's because that is the doorway into the greater blessing. Let's look at Psalm 133. Psalm 133, it's just three simple verses. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You know, let me just, I'm just gonna make a few comments on that first verse. Verse one, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He says, behold, he wants us to behold this thing and take, make it a matter of contemplation. Let's look at this because this is, this is a key. God has offered us as a house, but we must cooperate with it. Behold how good and pleasant. It's both, uh, it's pleasant to experience and beneficial to experience. Not all good things are beneficial and not all beneficial things are pleasant. But this is both. When brothers dwell in unity, he's talking about this familial relationship, family. When we dwell together. I, uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but when Andy Scarrow preached for me a couple of, uh, probably two months ago, I believe he picked a, the prophetic season right out of the air that this is a season for mothers and fathers to step forth and to really take an interest into the emerging generation. God wants to launch an army of young adults into the future. Amen. The, strength, the strength of this house will be multiplied exponentially if we will do that. Yes. It's when brothers, familiar relationships, dwell in unity. So the key is that we dwell in unity. What's going to happen? He gives us two analogies, verses 2 and 3. The first analogy is like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Some translations will translate that the edge of his robes, and the translators assume it's the top edge. I like to imagine it's not the top edge, it's the bottom edge. The hem and not the collar. We do a lot of ministry in Columbia uh, I was at a, an ordination service in Columbia. I'm going to tell you, you better wear a suit you don't like. 
Because they don't just dab a little on your forehead. They take a jug and pour it over you. I mean, you know, they're, they're all... Uh, if you ever wondered what the guy looked like with his, with his hair, you know, hanging down over his eyes, you'll see it in that service. They are just like drowned rats in oil. But it's because they take the analogy seriously. Oil was looked at as... Uh, this is fascinating. We'll just touch on this. Uh, we, we began a, a series a while back, and we'll get back into that one of these days, about the anointing. Uh, the anointing wasn't the same as the Spirit of God being on you, but it attracted the Spirit of God. I don't fully understand that. But it was, it was almost like uh, those laser... Uh, laser missiles, you, you put the laser on something and then the laser guided missile, that you point the laser and the missile will hit where the laser's pointing. It's like the oil, the, the anointing oil is like the, the laser on your head and the spirit of God is attracted to that because there's a distinction in the Old Testament when, the, when he was anointed, the spirit came on him. There are two different things. Uh, but it was, it, it, it was a validation and an acknowledgement of assignment and enablement for that assignment, okay? That is what the anointing oil was. It was an acknowledgement that's saying, hey, like for the kings, hey, this guy is now our king, we're gonna anoint him, and the spirit of God will come upon him, and he, God is going to equip him to do with the anointing what he couldn't do without it. And so what he's saying is that when we dwell in unity together, the anointing will come on us and it will flow down to the hems of the rope. Now, we don't have, don't have time to get into all of this, but uh, Aaron was the first priest of Israel. And Aaron was anointed and it, when it flowed down, uh, it, was, it was a picture of the enablement coming upon him. That's why he chooses Aaron. And he said it will, when it comes upon us, when we walk in unity, it, it's like the, that oil coming upon us. I would propose to you that if he, or, uh, Psalm 133 is the Old Testament version of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, where we talk about the unity of the Spirit and keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, and then apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Because as we honor those over us, we get the good of their, their, uh, their anointing. We, we sit under that. It's like when Paul said, some people will say to me, uh, that some people don't receive him as an apostle. And essentially, they were right. To them, he wasn't an apostle. But in making that decision, the fact was that they forfeited everything the apostle Paul carried. You get to decide. I'm a pastor to some people. We've had people that attended here that said, Pastor Dave's not my pastor, I just attend there. This other guy's my pastor. They didn't stay around long, because that's dysfunctional. Find a place where you can get under a man or woman that you feel God's called you to that tribe, and you can receive. Now, this first analogy, okay, this first analogy is about the vertical flow. The second analogy is about the horizontal flow. And I would propose to you that that's even more important. Now, if you don't have the vertical flow, you're not, you're, you're, you're we don't have time to get into this, but the, the government of God, God will anoint leaders, men and women, 
I believe in women leaders. I believe in women pastors and women apostles and prophets. God will anoint someone to lead a group of people. God will do a work in someone and then cause them, that people will be attracted to that so God can do a work in them so then he can do a work through them. That's the ways of heaven. So then the second analogy, it says, it is if, as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. And it closes with this, for there the Lord commands his blessing. Man, that's, that's good stuff. God commands a blessing. When It's like what Chris, the word Christie released this morning. God will not be undermined. If he commands a blessing, hell cannot stop it. You will live in the blessing. So the dew of Hermon coming down. I apologize. I've got fasting brain. There was something I was going to say I feel is important. So let's just wait. Yeah. I'd be real spiritual. So let's wait on the Lord. I'm, I'm waiting on my head to work. Um, Let me give you a couple verses. I want to say it's, it, it's in Matthew. I, it's, it's in the book. You look it up in your concordance. I'm not lying, okay? Wherever two or three, or some vers, versions, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What is the deal with that? Because we know theologically, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So why, why would I gather with other believers to get him to come when he's already here? Because again, there's a, there are levels of his presence. Another verse. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to say it's 22 and 23. It's the last two verses of Ephesians Chapter one, it says this. Now I want you to think about these two verses. There's something that God will release to the three, the, the, wherever two or three are gathered, he'll release to the two or more that he will not release to the one. That's what he's implying, right? Does everybody agree with that? Yes. So there's something significant about us gathering. Then we have Ephesians chapter one and it says this. God hath set everything under Christ's feet, comma, for the church, comma, and now he's going to define or uh, define what the church is. Give us a picture of what the church is. For the church, comma, the fullness of him. The church, the gathering called the church, is the fullness of God. That is a direct quote from Scripture. You want the fullness of God, get connected to a body. Get connected to some people. And do more than merely attend church with them. You need relationships, and then the fullness comes in. You see, you can draw from the well alone. You can get saved all by yourself. I got saved in a borrowed bedroom as a homeless alcoholic. I cried out to Jesus, got radically saved. I mean, I was having church, laughing, crying, speaking in tongues, rolling around this little boy's bed that the parents were crazy enough to give me a room, and I, had an, I was all alone. 
You can drink from the well alone. You can be baptized in the spirit alone. You could even experience revival alone, but I would propose to you there was somebody, there was a group of people who were contending for that. You can experience, but you cannot experience the dew of Hermone alone. There's something superior to that environment and you can't touch it on. This is a corporate thing. And we've talked about this before, but I'm telling you, God will withhold from you as an individual the very thing you need and hide it within another person. And you can cry out, you can fast, you can, you can pound heaven, you can, you know, you, you, whatever. But the best you're gonna get from God is go see so-and-so because he won't give it to you directly because he refuses to allow you to be an island unto yourself. And the dew of Hermon, the key to it. Now understand, what the, the dew of Hermon, it's this hot, fertile greenhouse environment where the dew is released, the land is nourished, but you're not having to take an umbrella. It's not keeping you from going to your car. It's not, it, you're, have, you're not running yourself ragged, waiting and, and to try to run to your car. There's, it's superior to outpourings. It's superior to revival. In fact, I would propose to you that the purpose of revival is to secure houses of Hermon. Houses that he secured a people that were enjoying the anointing. And that anointing is not coming out of the heavens, it's coming out of one another. Where we live in unity and I am honoring what you carry. That's why this is the horizontal anointing, not the vertical one. It's not about getting under an anointed man or woman. It's about relating with an anointed group of people that we honor one another and we validate what each other carry. And I don't have it all, and you don't have it all, but together we do. The irreducible minimum of the body of Christ is two. Without another believer, you're just a, an appendage laying in the street, which is weird to think. You're just a piece of the body, which doesn't last long. If you sever my hand, it might last a little while, but if you can get me to the hospital, get and re, re, put it on there, but there's a, there's a time clock on that thing. And so when, when I honor what you carry and you honor what I carry, all of a sudden, like paradise, we are being nourished by the hidden caverns of anointing in the chair next to us. We're being able to draw from one another. My spiritual father, who's now with the Lord, was going out to Bethel a number of years ago, and I said, hey, Papa Jack, can I, can I catch a ride with you? I want to go out there too. I knew if you go with Jack, you're treated like somebody, you know. I was like the little mouse in the ear of the elephants are walking across the bridge. The mouse says, boy, aren't we shaking this bridge, you know. I was the mouse in the ear. And uh, so we, and a big group of us went out there. And so we spent three days out there, met with all the leaders. It was fun. It was glorious. And we're driving back to the, the airport. And uh, Jack had rented this big Cadillac. So I'm in the back. Man, I could, yeah, I had a cool crowd back there. And uh, I said, Jack, I looked up at him in the mirror and I said, Jack, I said, I've been to Bethel. And you know what? I would just assume worship at Heartland. He looked at me. <laughs> I still don't know what he thought of that. But 
What I meant by that was this. The strength of that house is not their Sunday morning service. It's what goes on in the rest of the week. They have a way of equipping the saints that honors what others carry. And we've got to be a church. Ephesians 4 is the passage. I'm telling you, Psalm 133 is Ephesians 4. We have to be a church that honors and calls out the giftings with one another. To live in unity together. Where we see we need one another. And this has everything to do with moving into the ultimate expression of the Spirit's ministry. Guys, if you could get the communion ready. We're going to receive communion this morning. I, I got to try to land this. One of the, if you could just keep dialed in while these guys do their job. There's a test to living in unity. You ever heard that phrase? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know the root word of familiarity? Family. You know family. And the test of unity, the test of really valuing what one another carries, is that we pass the test of familiarity. You know, in Jesus' ministry, he went to his hometown, sat down in the synagogue, rolled open the scroll, and he preached out of Isaiah, and he said, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. It says everybody spoke well of him. They were blown away. Wow, what wisdom. It was like something shifted in the atmosphere. And then one smart Alex spoke up. Yeah, ain't that Mary and Joseph's son? We know him. And they shut down a move of God because they were blinded by what they were familiar with and failed to recognize the treasure right in front of them. And make no mistake about it, you and I can do the same thing. That we can be so tuned into each other's weaknesses that we fail to see the treasure within one, one another. We're going to take communion. Paul's very clear. He said, he said do this. In, he's, he, he reiterates, and, and Paul wasn't there. Paul had to get this as a download directly from heaven where God told him, this is where Jesus told him, this is what I did on the night. And I gave it to the disciples and I broke the bread and I said, this is my body broken for you. And then he said, this is my blood, the blood of my covenant in, in the new covenant. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Then Paul gives us this con, con, uh, caution. He says, listen guys, don't take of it unworthily. This, this is a serious, serious thing. And he goes on to say, he said, many have died. He said, many have fallen asleep, but he's talking about people dying. One of the marks of a move of God is that the severity of discipline ramps up. When Ananias and Sapphira died, it was because of the pronounced presence of God during that season in the church. The reason we don't see that today is not because of a lack of lying in the church. It's because of a lack of his presence in the church. So I want to caution you. And Paul, the caution was this. He said, 
Don't take it unworthily, not recognizing the body of Christ. What does he mean? What he's saying is violating the unity of the body of Christ if you're not right with someone else in the body, make it right. Don't just think this is a light thing. Guys, if I could get one up here, I, I didn't grab one. He says, if we could, uh, he said, you, you've got to recognize the body of Christ. Let me tell you a story real quick here, and I'm going to land it. Uh, is the worship, yeah, thank you guys. Um, a couple of years ago, Thank you, sir. A couple of years ago, well, this was probably, I don't know, 10, it was over a decade ago, but uh, I'd been very hurt as a pastor. There were some people that were dear to me. I, I felt like I had invested in those relationships and those relationships were broken and there were things said about me. I, I I would continue to hear back through the grapevine of what they were saying. And uh, it was hard. I felt violated. Man, I, I struggled. I, I, I had to keep going back to the Lord. Lord, God, just, Lord, I'm asking you to bless them. I'm asking you to bless them. Lord, forgive. And then, I, then I'd get on a tirade in my own little mind. But Lord, you know what I'm doing. And furthermore, and I'd have to go back to the Lord. And in my estimation, there were some very unjust, outright lies spoken about me to other leaders. And I struggled to get the victory until I was in prayer one day. And the Lord really got in my grill as a loving father. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And this is what he told me. He said, you are judging them by your light. You're taking the understanding you have of certain, certain truths and you're imposing that light. You're acting as though they know what you know and you're judging them by the standard I've required of you. And I had a new perspective on when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The fact is, to sin, we've got to see things wrong. A.W. Tozer said, to sin, you've got to be insane for a second. You've got to lose your mind. You've lost perspective. Because if we really saw sin for what it was, it ain't worth it. We all know that. We wouldn't do it. Now, I, I, want, to caution, I want to qualify that. It's not that the Lord was saying, Dave, you're so insightful. You just walk at a higher plane than the rest. This was not a affirmation. This was a correction. I am sure that those individuals also had some insight I didn't have. The problem is I had some insight in an area and I was superimposing that on them. And, and the Lord was telling me, he said, if you were to do those things, it would be grave sin because you know better. But you don't know what they know. You don't know their perspective. You don't know what they see. You need to leave that to me. Only God is qualified to be the judge. Man, it broke me. Only God is qualified to be the judge. We don't know what people are going through. Hurt people hurt people. We don't know what they're going through. And I don't want to be the one to judge because with the standard you use is the standard that will be used on you. 
I just want to go low and say, God, I forgive them. Jesus said, they know not what they do. It's essentially what the Lord was telling me. Listen, if you have sinned against someone in your heart, I'm not saying you need to go tell them. That can make, make it worse. Hey, why don't you know, I've really been honked at you and I've always thought you were a big jerk and you know, I, I dream of killing you, but I forgive you. you know. That'll make for awkward greeting time next week. So, But what I am saying is get before the Lord. And if there is an open conflict between you and another brother or sister, listen, you need to keep short accounts. This is crucial because the fact is we can forfeit a move of God. We can forfeit that greenhouse effect in which we can raise up the next generation out of our petty little grievances. Jesus was willing to be crucified over our sin so that we could ha- he could have relationship with us. The least we can do is be willing to be violated a little bit and say like Jesus, they don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to overlook it and I'm going to love them well. He's called us to pick up our cross. And I just want to pray right now. Just bow your head. Father, Lord, we're asking for the fear of the Lord. Lord, rescue us from ourselves. Lord, you know we are powerless over our own emotions. Lord, we're so easily offended. We get tied up in knots and we don't even understand our own hearts, Lord, let alone the hearts of those who we feel have sinned against us. So Lord, I'm asking God that you'd forgive us and Lord, help us to release heaven on earth through forgiveness, Lord. Lord, I ask for sharp and severe conviction. Father us well, Holy Spirit. Do your work. Now listen, if you are holding something from someone, you need to make a commitment now that you're gonna reach out. If, If they know about it, if there's a conflict, you need to make a commitment now or don't take communion. And if you're unwilling to do that, don't take communion. But we're going to come before him. This is his suffering for you and I so that we could be made right with the Father after our grave sin. Let's pull out your wafer. Jesus, we thank you. This is your body broken for us. Go ahead and crack that thing in half. And Lord, we know that you not only purchased our physical healing, you purchased our emotional healing. You purchased our freedom from mental torment, from oppression. Lord, we thank you for it. And we honor you, Lord, and we eat of your flesh this morning. Let's take it. says he took the cup and he said this is the new covenant in my blood whenever you drink it do so in remembrance of me Jesus we lift this before you and we receive your pardon your gift of eternal life Lord your forgiveness that you wipe our slate clean we thank you Jesus that we're free in you Lord I thank you that you consider we are but dust and you deal kindly with us 
with loving kindness as a good father towards his immature children. Now, Lord, let us not use that as a license, but bring us higher. In Jesus' name, let's drink. Hallelujah. If we could just sing that song just one time through, and then we'll, we'll let you go this morning. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.